in demand by all of the wealthy patrons of Europe. And for years, it seemed as though Rembrandt lived the perfect life. He became fabulously wealthy. He lived in a beautiful estate. He was internationally famous. Personally, he met and married his wife, Saskia, who was truly the love of his life. And he often used her as a model in his painting. Together, he and Saskia both had five children. They loved his children. His life seemed perfect to everyone who knew him. And during those years, he painted a particular painting. I'd like you to see it this morning. It's one called The Prodigal Son. But this is not the picture of the prodigal son that you usually uh, see. This is a picture of the prodigal son in those early years when he had just made his way to the far country. And this is him living it up. This is living the life of wealth and ease, interestingly enough. And when you see that portrait, not only is Rembrandt, did Rembrandt use his own face for that picture, but that's also his wife, Saskia. How could he have known what the future was going to hold? You see, when he painted that picture, he didn't realize how much his life was going to unravel. Three of his children would die as infants. The two who survived would only live into very young adulthood. And Saskia herself lost her life in childbirth. Rembrandt was so heart-stricken and grief-stricken that he could not find it in himself to paint again for a number of years. And he just kind of was forgotten by everybody around him. As the years went by, because he was doing nothing new, his money also disappeared. And eventually all of it was gone and he had to move out of his home and he had to do the best he could to find a way to survive. By the time he was able to return to the easel and to begin to paint again, most of the world had moved on. He was forgotten. When he died, Rembrandt was buried in a pauper's tomb. He learned what it means to truly lose everything. Years later, not long before his death, he painted another scene from the parable of the prodigal son. But this one is very different from the first. In this picture, you see a broken son who's kneeling before his father, hungry for food, but even more hungry for mercy. One sandal is missing. His clothes are filthy and torn. He has the shaved head of a servant. He is absolutely broken in every possible way. All he can do is look at the ground as he appeals to his father for work. Rembrandt painted this picture with lots of darkness and shadows, except for one person, the father, who is filled with light. His robes are bright with color, his face shines with compassion, and his arms surround his son in a manner that is welcoming and healing and protecting. It is a picture of a father's love. Today, if you were to Google Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son, this is the picture that would come up immediately, not the first.
the image of a broken son and a welcoming father. And this is important. And it was also his final self-portrait. The first man was Rembrandt when everything was going fine and life was his to hold. The other is Rembrandt, recognizing that he lost everything. But he found his way back to the father. The story of the prodigal son is one that Jesus told on his way to Jerusalem. It's one of the most familiar and most powerful stories Jesus ever told. One of the greatest revelations of God's mercy in all the Gospels. And you probably don't need to be reminded about that story, but let me remind you all the same. An arrogant younger son demanded that his father give him his inheritance. Not just give me my inheritance, give it to me right now. I don't wait, want to wait until you die. I want it now. And as soon as he had it in his hands, he traveled as far as he could get from home. Jesus called the place where he went the far country. And all we know for sure is it's that place that offered to the prodigal son everything that he thought he needed and wanted in life. When he arrived, he forgot all about his father, everything that had ever, he had ever been raised to believe. He ate and drank and parted his life away. But the day came when he realized the party is over. He had squandered all of his inheritance. And he didn't have a single coin to call his own. Jesus said the day came in this young man's life when he had to sell all the fine clothes. Forget the extravagant food. Abandon his comfortable home. And only when everything was completely gone did he realize he had no hope for the future. He had thrown his life away. The only way he found to survive was to take a job feeding pigs and the only reason that job was available to him was because it was the worst possible job and nobody wanted to do it. In the end, he found him filthy and rags and the worst place on earth trying to figure out how in the world he could ever make a life for himself again. Can I be honest with you this morning? And if I were the one who were telling that story, if this was left up to me, this is probably where I would end the story. With a young man who threw everything away and lived it out in high living and finally realized what a huge mistake he'd made with his life. And I probably would have stopped right there and said this, and this is what happens to you when you turn your back on God. This is what happens when you reject God's way for your life. Thankfully, I'm not the one telling the story. For Jesus of Nazareth, it was only the middle of the story. This is how he concluded the parable. While he was starving in the field, he came to his senses. He started remembering home and much better things, how much better things were for his father's servant than they were for himself. He realized how absolutely miserably he had failed.
He couldn't blame his father if he never wanted to see him again. But maybe, maybe there was a chance. Maybe he could return to his home, not as a son, but as a servant. Because he had realized, back home has everything I ever needed. And maybe I can at least live around the fringes of what my father provides. So he steeled his nerve and he began the long way back from the far country. And as he walked along, I think he rehearsed what he was going to say to his father when he got there. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And time and time and time again, he rehearsed that speech that he would make to his father. He could never have known what would happen when home came into sight. How his father saw him from a long way off. And ran to him and the Bible says he hugged him and he kissed him. Understand something. He kissed him coming straight from a hog pit and a long journey. Reeking with the aroma of failure and sin. But his father kissed him. He tried to begin the speech. Father I've sinned against heaven and before you. But that's as far as he was able to get because... His father interrupted him and called for a fine robe, for a family ring to go on his finger, for shoes on his feet. And then the father declared, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. You've probably heard that story a hundred times in your life. You've probably heard about the prodigal son to the point that you could have taken my place up here and you could have told the story and you wouldn't have missed a detail. And yet here's the thing about that, that story is so powerful. And yet knowing it and having heard it, you also recognize, man, it's got power. It tugs at my heart. It speaks to my soul. It's a story about how God welcomes those who have roamed away from him. It's even more powerful when you remember Jesus told that story on his way to Jerusalem. You remember we talked about that last Sunday, how beginning in Luke chapter 9, the Bible says Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And everything that happens for the rest of the book of Luke has to do with the fact that Jesus is on his way to the cross, to resurrection, to ascension. He knew he was going to give his life as a perfect sacrifice. He also knew this. And I will become the perfect substitution for the sins of the people I save. There's only one motive for saving sinners, and that is God's redeeming love. A love that is there for anybody who will receive it today. I could tell you a lot about the parable of the prodigal son this morning, but I really just want to take a few points and make them clear you today the first one is this no matter who you are or where you are the Lord knows and cares about you when the prodigal son left home he went into the far country he believed that by the time he arrived at his destination he had finally declared his independence from his father I will never have to think about him again 
My life is my own, and I will live it in whatever way I please. And the way I please has nothing to do with the way my father taught me to live. He could do what he wanted to do. He could live the way he wanted to live. Nobody knew where he was, and nobody knew what he was doing. I am all by myself, and that's just the way I wanted, said an unrepentant son. But even though he believed that nobody knew where, where he was and nobody knew what he was doing, the father knew what he was doing. I have no doubt that as time went by, he heard reports from traveling merchants and others who had been to the far country and come back again, and they told him the stories about his son, about how his son had fallen so far away from the Lord, about the things he was doing and the way he was living and and the father was sad and broken over the fact that his own boy didn't think his values were worth sharing. He knew about the choices. He knew about the sins. He knew about the failure. Now, why do I believe that so? I believe it's because it was no accident that on the day he returned, his father was looking down the road that day. He knew he was coming. He knew that was the day when he would return. He had kept up with what was going on in his son's life. And why is that so important? Because in the same way, the Heavenly Father knows everything about you and me. There is absolutely nothing going on in your life not an action, not a motive, not a thought, not a word that God's not familiar with. Sometimes when we think about the Lord, we think of him as a heavenly grandfather kind of type. You know, he means well and he just kind of pays a little bit of attention, but not a whole lot of attention to what we're doing. And by and large, he just thinks of us as pretty good people. That's not the way the Bible describes the Lord. The Bible describes the Lord as the one who is aware of everything going on in your life. He knows it all. And those times when he reaches out to bring you home, he knows where you've gone. He knows what you've done. He knows where you've failed. He knows how you've sinned. He knows it all. In fact, the Bible tells us when we come back to the Lord, he knows every sin and failure, and he still welcomes That's why I'm so glad Jesus is not like myself. I told you where I would end the story. I would end the story by saying it got exactly what was coming to him. But Jesus said, in spite of it all, the most abject failure of all, I still have a place for you. And we need to know that's true because if it is, then we have the assurance that there is always a way back home to the Lord we need to know that because some people are there's some people who think I would really like to be saved I would really like to have a relationship with Jesus I'd really like to follow the Lord but if he knew if he knew what I had been if he knew the things I've done if he knew the way I've talked about him if he knew the ways I have failed in my life then God would be through with me altogether. 
sometimes even believers will fail, maybe even fail seriously. And they think that if the Lord knew, he would be through with them. I remember some years back uh, sitting in my office with a member who had failed greatly and publicly and then had come to the point of realizing how much he had messed his life up. And, and he said to me, you know, I haven't been back to church in a while and I'd really like to come back, but the truth is I'm embarrassed to come back because everybody knows what I've done. Everybody knows how I failed. Everybody knows. And I said to him, you know, here's the thing about the folks who are here at church every Sunday and all those folks out there that don't know him. I said, those folks out there that don't know him, they are lost. They're all messed up and they're lost. And the people that are here every Sunday are all messed up and we know how much we need Jesus. And that's the difference. That's the difference. And that's why Jesus reminds us that he knows it all and he sees it all. And his mercy is still there for the taking. That there is nobody who will say, my sin has taken me beyond the grace of God. My failure has put me in a place where mercy is no longer a possibility. That's why I love the Bible so much, because it's not filled with the stories of perfect people. It's filled with the stories of broken people who are like you and me and whose lives are transformed by the redeeming grace of God. And if you're afraid to bring your struggles and your sins to the Lord this morning, listen to the call of Jesus who said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says... You come to me. He knows it all. And you need to know this. And the Lord who loves you allows you to choose. How many times must the father in Jesus' story have been tempted to step in and save his son from himself? What if it were your child, your grandchild, how many times would you think, I'm going to intervene, I'm going to stop this, I'm going to change it? There must have been times when the father was so tempted to do that, when he demanded his inheritance, when he rode away from home without looking back, when he threw away everything he had in selfish and sinful living, especially, I think, when he ended up living in a pig pen. How many times did the father want to step in and rescue him? But he held himself back. He did not intervene. Why did he do that? Because the father knew if he took the choice away, his son would always be enticed by the far country. If the father had stepped in before he ever left home and said, I will not allow you to leave home. If the father had stepped in when he began to get him engaged, be engaged in all kinds of riotous living, if the father had stepped in and said, no, you're not going to do this, I'll drag you home if I have to. When he reached that point in his life where he was starving and 
hungry for something to eat. Don't you know that father was so tempted to say, Son, I don't want you to go through this kind of suffering. Even though it was the suffering that was going to bring him home. Instead, he waited and allowed the young man to make the choice for himself. If he'd not had a chance to experience it, he would forever believe the lies about the pleasures of sin. The father would not make him stay home. Home had to be his decision. And our Heavenly Father deals in the same way with all of us. He will never force you into a relationship with you. He will never reject you and turn you away. The door to home is always open through faith in Christ to anyone who will believe. And that's true for everybody, everywhere, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. The door is open and anybody who will believe is welcome into the kingdom of God. And nobody is ever going to be compelled to come in or go out. You see, the choice will always be yours. He gives you the privilege to choose. He'll wait. He will call and convict. But he will not force you to make the decision. Coming to Christ has to be your choice. Christian faith is not something that is compelled, nor is it something that's pushed away. God extends it out to all, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But you have a choice to make. One last lesson I want to teach you this morning. There's more than one prodigal in this story. Do you know what that term prodigal means? I bet a lot of us don't. It's just one of those words we read in the Bible and we know this is about the prodigal son and I really don't need to know. Prodigal means extravagant, lavish, generous. The son was prodigal with his inheritance. He was lavish with food and drink. He brought, bought finery without giving the price a thought. He left a trail of money wherever he went. Jesus said he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He spent and lived as lavishly as he could until everything was gone. And only then did he face the consequences of a wasted life. What a prodigal. But there's more than one in this story. You know what? This is also the story of a prodigal father. Not because he generously gave his son a robe and a ring. Not because he prepared the fattest calf and threw a party because his son had returned. The father was prodigal with two things. His mercy and his love. He gave it away without limit to a son who needed it so much. He poured them out abundantly upon his son. And he gave a young man who did not deserve anything the grace that only the father can give. And his forgiveness washed away the failure of the past and opened the door for a whole new life. Here's the thing I love about the father. He cleaned up his son. 
Not from the stench of the pig pen. Not from the neglect of days of doing without any opportunity to bathe or to make himself. He washed him from the inside out. And he made him clean again. He gave him a robe. He gave him a ring that said, this is a part of my family. And he rejoiced. And when he did that, he gave that son a whole new identity. You have chosen to come home. And now I restore you to everything you could have been. What an incredible thing to hear the father say, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, if there's anything I'm grateful for this morning, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it well. <laughs> if there's anything I'm grateful for this morning, it is this. We serve a prodigal father. A prodigal father who pours everything out for the sake of lost people who turn to him and ask for forgiveness and restoration and hope. He poured it out on the cross. He displayed love we couldn't haven't earned and don't deserve. And he offers eternal life to anyone who will trust him. Not the worthy, not the special, anybody, anybody who will turn to him. So I guess my question is, so does any of this resonate in your own life? Do you recognize it's time for me to turn back again? Maybe you're here and you don't know the Father. You've never trusted Jesus as Savior. And today you need to come and say, this is the day when I want to have a living relationship with Christ. Or maybe it could be that uh, today you're here and in your own spiritual life as a follower, you recognize there are things that just need to be straightened out inside my life. Maybe God is speaking to you in your heart of hearts and you exactly what he's talking to you about. Is there something you need to do? In just a minute, we're going to stand and sing an invitation hymn. It'll be a chance for those who want to trust Christ to come and share with the church that Jesus is changing my life. Maybe you're coming to be a part of this fellowship. I want to join this church. I want to be part of what you're doing here. Maybe there's another decision. As we stand, as we sing, and God calls you in your heart, you come. Let's stand together. Let's sing.
Maybe I invite you to be seated again for just a few minutes. Davis, come join me up here. Davis Loudermilk has given his life to Jesus, asked him to be his Savior and his Lord, and today he comes to tell his church that he's ready to follow Jesus in baptism and in his life. And if you want to let Davis know how excited you are for his decision, you just say amen. amen. It's okay. Come on back, Bethany. Oh, never mind. <laughs> All right. Evan, come up here. And I got a chance to visit with Evan as well this past week. And Evan Cox has trusted Jesus as his Savior. He's following him as Lord. He wants to follow him in baptism and live for him throughout his life. And if you want to let Evan know how excited you are about this decision, you say amen. amen. And under, I want you to understand something really important. And these guys did not make this decision together. They each made it separate. I don't even know. Did you, each of you know? Did you all know the other one was coming? No. So... I got to talk to one earlier in the week and one this morning. Here's the thing that I think is so exciting and, uh, and it's so special that their families are here at the front with them because both of them had exactly the same experience and that is they came to Jesus in the best possible way which was with their parents at their house where they had been learning about Jesus and talking about this decision and they made their decision with their parents. I always think as the pastor, my job should be the period at the end of the sentence. But the sentence comes from home. And I'm so proud of these guys. And I'm so excited that they're going to be following Jesus in baptism. And how bold they were to come this morning. And ready to come and let everybody know. So, y'all just, uh, we look forward to seeing what God's going to do in your life. And how God's going to bless you. And how you're going to bless the rest of us. And I'm going to invite whole families to go out to the lobby in just a minute to let them know how excited you are about what Jesus has done in their life. Guys, I'm proud of you. That's great. Y'all can go to your parents and parents. Y'all can take them on out to the lobby if you want to. And I expect that may be a new member picture that Bobby Loudermilk is going to be glad to take. So been a great day we started with baptism and we ended with professions of faith what else could you have on a day like today let's stand together now let's have our final prayer and then one last song as we dismiss father we thank you lord for Eben and davis we thank you lord for their decision to follow jesus we thank you, Lord, that they did grow up in homes where following Jesus was something they've been taught all their life long. And we thank you, Father, for people in this church who have so influenced them as Sunday school teachers and leaders and adults who cared. And, Father, we just thank you that we get to see the fruit of what you've been doing. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is working our midst. And we thank you, Lord, that we can dedicate these two and all of our lives to you. Thank you, Lord that you love your prodigal people because I'm one of them. And I thank you, Lord, that you brought us home and we belong to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a more appropriate song could we sing to dismiss today? Surely.